my name is John. I'll be uh, doing most of the speaking this evening. Um, yeah, so thanks for joining us. We're going to be continuing our series through the book of Psalms today. Um, so our, our psalm for this week will be Psalm 46, which we'll read later. Um, so I will start by reading a, uh, our adoration verse, which is coming from Psalm chapter 93. And then Mike will lead us in a quick song of worship, and I will come back and I will preach a super quick sermon on Psalm 46. So, uh, without further ado, Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the Lord, the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Thank you. 
refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. All right, let's uh, let's pray real quick before we jump into this. Um, dear Father, uh, we thank you, God, for the opportunity to go through your word right now. Uh, we thank you that we can see faces and hear voices, even though it's certainly not the way we would prefer. Um, we thank you for what we have regardless. Uh, Lord, just help me. Uh, I pray that I would decrease that you might increase. Just please just speak your word um, on your behalf. May you be glorified through it um, in the words that are spoken that um, are received by the hearts of those who are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Psalm 46 is a very powerful psalm. It's a psalm that is filled with this sense of confidence and strength in who God is. I would say if there was a single anchor verse 
for this entire passage. It would probably be the only verse that's repeated, which is in verse 7 and verse 11, which is um, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Within this only 11 verse, pretty compact chapter, it refers to God as our refuge and our strength, as our help in trouble, that he is um, in our midst, that he is again our refuge, that he is worthy of beholding, that he will make wars come to an end, that he will be exalted by all the nations and all the earth, and again, that he is with us and that he is our refuge. And so as I was looking through this passage, I started to ask myself, like, what does it mean for God to be our refuge? Like refuge, as at least how I understand it, is kind of like, I mean, when you think of refuge, you think of like, like, like warriors, like 500 years ago, like marching behind like a giant wall or into a castle or something like that. The word refuge, even the word stronghold, kind of feels like it's a phrase that's detached from our modern vocabulary. And so I'd like to try to like contextualize what that means and what it, what it really means to say that God is our refuge and what the fullness of that means. Like if, if God's refugeness was an insurance policy that we all signed our names next to, like what are the conditions in terms of that policy? Like what, what can we expect to be covered and protected and refuged by? That's kind of what I'd like to explain. I wanted to do so in the context of a story and I thought of a specific biblical figure who has a lot of experience with um, seeing God as a refuge in a time of great difficulty and stress. And so I, I took some, some, some strange liberties and I decided I wanted, to, I wanted to like make a story that did not happen within the book of Job and tell it to you guys with the symbolism that will hopefully make my very, very egregious taboo, hopefully worth it. And I, I filled it with historical inaccuracies, so it would just reinforce, this did not really happen. I am not preaching some extra biblical story. Please don't, please don't like call our denomination and tell them that. I'm not, it's not, it's not what's happening. Uh, but the story of Job is pretty familiar to us. We're pretty familiar with the story of Job. Uh, you know, we, we have God and Satan, this tempting figure who uh, appears in the courts of God and says, you know, uh, you, you think so highly of your servant Job. I bet you if I could make him suffer, then I could make him forget about you. And so God grants permission for this to happen. And uh, Satan, Satan does. He torments Job. As a result, his animals are killed. His workers and his servants are killed. His house is destroyed. His children are killed in the destruction of his house. And finally, his body is covered head to toe with these super painful boils. Dad insult to injury. His wife also basically scolds him for his faith in God, telling him he should curse God and die. So that's a very, very basic, basic recap of just the introduction of Job. So here's where my fictional story starts, is that Job is lying in bed that night, and he's struggling to sleep because these awful boils are, are just so painful. It's hard for him to get any rest. 
After hours of tossing and turning, he gets up and he walks into the kitchen for a glass of water. Yeah, historical inaccuracies. There we go. Sitting there at the table, having a, a tall glass of milk and, and smoking a cigarette, is Satan himself. I imagine only Satan would combine these two awful things, like a glass of milk and a, and a cigarette. Satan motions for Job to sit down next to him, and Job does. Satan looks at him and says, look at you, look at you, covered in pain and suffering, mourning the death of your children and your workers. What has God gifted you but suffering? Job like stumbles over his words for a second, and before he mutters anything, this big clap of lights explodes into the room, and right there in this kitchen, because they have kitchens, is an angel wrapped in, in, in wings and glory and majesty and terror, all of those things. And before Job can say a word, the angel says, the suffering that we experience today is a light affliction compared to the future glory that God has prepared for his children. The Lord does not act in malice towards those he loves. He will see them through until the end. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then snap, the angel's gone. And so Satan kind of like shrugs his shoulders, rolls his eyes, and he says, all right, look, maybe your suffering is, is redeemable, but look at the world around you, Job. Think of the warfare. Think of the suffering. Think of the bloodshed. Does this look to you like, a, like the world of a good God? Just then, boom, another blast of light. Another angel appears. His words booming just as loud and aggressively shaking the walls, the drywall walls of this ancient antiquity house. And the angel says, behold, the Lord is making all things new. A time will come when the suffering of this age has passed. He will wipe away every tear and every tribe and tongue will kneel before the God of heaven. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then disappears again. Satan starts to get angry, takes a long drag on his cigarette, and he says, but what does your life promise you, Job, but only death? Your suffering is only a foretaste of the experience that your own children have already experienced. You're going to die. Again, appearance of light, angel shows up and says to be absent with the body, Job, is to be present with the Lord. The God of the universe will conquer death as he has conquered all things and is giving life to all of those who call on him. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge and the room falls dark. Satan just pounds his fists on the kitchen table. And he says, but what of you, Job? What about your, your heart? You may be a blameless person, Job, but you don't have a blameless heart. Do you think a good God will still have any of these dealings with you? Another final, final angel appears and says, the God of heaven is faithful to forgive even the ugliest sins and trespasses. He has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. He will make all things new. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And the angel disappears. And when the light, the big blinding pulse of light fades, Job looks to realize that he is now sitting alone at his kitchen table 
and he sits there for a bit longer. Now, I don't tell this story because I think that it happened. I'm not even going to say that it could have happened because I'm not going to tread into those waters. It's dangerous territory. I'm not going to do that. I'm telling this story because I, I, I wanted to illustrate the weight and also depth of what it means for God to be our protector, that he is a protector that protects us in so many facets, in so many areas of the life that he has given us. That it's, it's, it's astounding, like, to think that people could even, like, minimize God into just a protector of our lives, just the protector who's going to help you win this big basketball game. I don't know. I've been watching the Michael Jordan documentary. That probably just bled into my thoughts. But still, the, the, the way that God protects us often exceeds so tremendously the expectation that we have for him. And it's worthy of reflection. And it's worthy of asking ourselves how, how these truths affect us on a daily basis. Like, how do we live knowing that if we simply trust Christ, trust Jesus to forgive us, that we have an armor that God has given us that is completely 100% impenetrable? that all of the darkest, most destructive, spiritual, physical forces that could be posed against us are literally rendered useless. We have that, and we have that freely. It's like being a beekeeper with, like, one of those super cool suits where you can just, like, you know, chill around and get honey, and all these bees, they can't do anything. I mean, I imagine some suits are better than others, but this is a very good suit in this analogy. It's like top of the line, like a Versace beekeeper suit. Or, or, or even more, how do we suffer? Like how do we experience suffering knowing that even the most despicable, the most painful, the most crushing suffering that we experience has a purpose to them that is laced with love from the God who created us and has, has put intention behind them. So all of the, all of the pain of, of this suffering is so worthless. There's no value to it. Not only are we promised in God's word that our, our suffering is a light affliction that will lead to future glory, but it's also the suffering is not worthless. It's, it's always working and manifesting something greater. How do we look at a, 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 a very uh, conflicted and, and, and distorted world around us, knowing that God truly is leading the, the kingdom of heaven like this tidal wave that will overwhelm the world and redeem and make things new again. How, how, how do we battle our, our tendency towards cynicism and fatalism when we look at the news? Because good gracious, is the news terrible sometimes? But how does our hope in knowing what God is doing, battling that, that, that sense of negativity? How, how do we look at death? You know, that's a big, it's a big phrase these days, you know, pandemic, death, 
everything death right now. How do we look at our own deaths knowing that even the thing that our culture has called the worst of the worst of the worst of the things that could happen, even our own deaths is only God transporting us not into a different life, but into a greater fulfillment of the life that we're living now, that death would just transport us into greater presence with him, with greater joy, greater peace, and with the absence of the sin and suffering that makes this life suck so much. How do we battle these thoughts against each other? I recently read something that said that the most surprising thing about a soul in grave sin is not what it has done, but what it refuses to do. Like we see God promising to be this refuge, this protection for us, but this is not a closed offer. We see the, the, the window of, of mercy wide open or the doors or the gates or whatever open metaphor is most potent for you. We see God still here. And if we still have breath in our lungs, that opportunity is still there that we can say, God, I've messed up, but I'm on your team now. And it's, it's crazy that it can just be so tempting to live in this in these, in these lies, you know, in these, in these comments, the comments of this fictional depiction of Satan saying all of these things to devalue Job, but also to diminish his trust in God and tearing him down. It's very tempting to believe in these things. And I know it's tempting because I often believe these things. I often allow myself, even let's say I'm staring a temptation in the face, I tell myself God is not strong enough to deliver me from it, or maybe I'm just too weak, and then I fall, and then I hate myself, and then the, 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 the misery of sin creates this, this narrative of, like, of, of worthlessness and shame, and it just compounds. But what if we could remember the words that these fictional angels, but speaking very non-fictional words said. What if we could anchor ourselves just in, in, in this anchor verse of this psalm that we mentioned earlier? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I just love that. I just love it so much. I love the present tense in it, you know? The Lord will be with us. No, 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 no. The Lord was with us. No, the Lord is with us today. And I'll read this chapter again tomorrow and the words aren't going to change. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. What if we could apply that promise straight from God's own handwriting to the pains and aches of our already but not yet kind of conflicted, uh, 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 hearing both of these voices contradicting each other? What if we preach that to ourselves as we find the world and its circumstances weighing on us tremendously? What if we could remember that the Lord is with us and that he is our protector? I imagined an epilogue to this story. I got carried away with this story. I'm not going to lie. I imagined an epilogue to this story where Job is, uh, he's sitting at the table and he just witnessed this like kind of intense spiritual battle right in front of him where he wasn't able to utter a single word. And right now he's sitting in silence and he gets up and he, he walks outside 
he just walks and walks and walks and it's super dark because it's nighttime and he just keeps walking until he approaches a clearance where there's a big view of the expanse of the skies around him and he just looks up and says i don't get it god like i believe the words of your angels your messengers because i believe they're your words but i just don't get it sometimes i i see how my brain can hold the truths that i know but it doesn't affect my heart in the slightest I see my suffering, I see the world around me, I see my death and I see the ugliness of my heart, but I also see your deliverance promised. Why don't I feel encouraged? And just then the sky opens, but only a little bit, just like, just like a small, small little fraction. And the Lord speaks, but almost in a whisper. And he says, be still know that i am god why did he say that well first of all again fictional epilogue to a fictional story so let's keep that in mind but why did i choose be still and know that i am god because that's in psalm 46. it's this notion of stillness and you we are seeing we are witnessing the uh, the the appearance of the majesty of god and we are called to be still as a result. And why would I pick that one? Because if we continue and we read the book of Job, that's kind of what happens. In actual Job, not fictional Job, he mourns with his friends. All of his friends try to build these strange philosophical arguments of why God did what he did to Job. And then God shows up literally in a whirlwind and just unleashes this tirade against all the men and says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? He just keeps going. He's creating this arguments of like, I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. I am God. A lot of philosophers, they love Job. <laughs> they really do. And they have often considered this as like dismissive, like quiet. I don't want to hear your concerns. I am God, which means that you don't have a thing to say. Shut your trap. That's one interpretation. I think that I would tend to look at it as like a parent who's like calming a child after like a really, really terrible nightmare, which is just like, don't, don't worry. I'm your dad. I got you. Like, I'm not going to make, I'm going to make sure everything is fine. I'm going to make sure there's no monsters in your closet, no monsters in your bed. I, I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of because I love you and I care about you and I'm going to protect you. That's kind of what I see it more so. The cool thing about this verse, the verse, be still and know that I am God, is that the word be still is kind of a loose translation. You can honestly translate the phrase where we get be still from to mean become weak or like release, or let go. Like there's a stillness implied within the passage, but there's also a form of like abandonment, like stop doing what you're doing, stop holding on to what you're holding on to, just let go and let God be who he is. So in closing, I think that our practical solution to this needs to be, honestly, I think that we have so much to meditate on and to consider about who God is.
I think we have so much to meditate on to see the fullness of how God is our protector. Because here's the thing. I oftentimes find myself acting, living, thinking, motivating myself on a lot of premises that do not indicate that God is my actual protector. So I find myself being a theological uh, a faithful servants of this text, but, but practically oftentimes really, really missing, really missing the boat. And so I think, I think this is something we have to meditate on. I think that this is something that we need to take time routinely to just like, like, like I hate saying be still because it sounds so goofy, but to do it, to be still, to like, and this is not the time to like check off a box on our, on our yearly Bible reading plan or to like, you know, pray through the page of prayer topics that you have to get through, but just a time where it's almost like passive. You're almost just letting what God has said just kind of run over you like water and just like allow it to preach to you rather than these constant prayers of God, this, God, that, like what, what I love, what I love what uh, Tim Keller ex- describes as being anxious in God's direction is, is the, is the gist of our prayers, but rather like actually letting the truths of God minister to us as we take time in intentional isolation and intentional silence and letting these things just, just reign over us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we thank you. Um, Lord, you are truly more of a protector to us than we could genuinely understand. Um, You are more good to us than we know. And while some of that is just you just are going to transcend what we can grasp, I do think we have a responsibility to understand just who you are and to let our lives reflect that. So just bless us with silence at times. Bless us with this kind of reflection that would allow you to minister to our hearts and encourage us. Give us that peace that goes beyond understanding um, and all for the glory of your son and uh, the whole triune God too. Uh, Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're singing a uh, song that John really wanted to sing this week. Um, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And uh, it's got a lot of weird words in it. So I was trying to figure out if there's a way to change any of these words so that we can actually kind of understand more of it. But I just decided to leave it because, you know, it's a hymn. It's old. It's supposed to sound old and have weird words. I think people know what a bulwark is. You think people know what a bulwark is? Uh, I... I (laughs) I could probably throw a guess out there. Well, I'll just give you a little history lesson because I just decided to look it up. Bulwark, if you don't know what it is, is like a a support of a wall that stops it from being knocked over by like the earth or people or whatever. But the weird thing is when I looked into the German translation because I got deep, I got sucked into the rabbit hole. Um, It actually was written in as a weir, which is like kind of like a dam that lets water a little bit of water over the top so now whenever you sing bulwark you'll know that it was kind of incorrectly translated but you'll know what a bulwark was supposed to represent from the german song so there you go it's kind of like the bee suit john
The it kind of protects you from too much water. Gives you just enough. Right. It protects you from just enough bees. Just enough bees. But it lets a couple in, just to remind you where you are. Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's see. Thank you that it's really good that you're so powerful, not because you threaten us with it and not because you hold it over us, but because you're with us, um, because you love us and you care for us. We thank you that we can rest on that, that we don't have to be afraid in times like these, 
that we don't have to fear and try to protect ourselves, but we can trust in you. And when things are hard, we know we can rely on you because you're powerful enough to handle what's happening in our lives and in the world around us. I hope, I hope God, that you'd just help us understand this in a way that transforms us, gives us peace, gives us a hope that we can offer to those around us. We pray that for your glory. Amen.